Welcome to How to Decorate from Ballard Designs, a podcast all about the trials and triumphs of decorating and redecorating your home. Each week, we'll help you unleash your inner decorator. I'm Caroline, and I'm on the marketing team. And I'm Taryn, and I'm a product designer. And I'm Liz. I head up the Ballard creative team. We're your host. Join the expert team at Ballard Designs for tips, tricks, and tales from interior designers, stylists, and other talents in the design world. Plus, we'll answer a listener question at the end of each show. So don't forget to send them to podcast at ballarddesigns.net. Yes, we love answering them. Now, on with the show. All right, so we're going to do some trials and triumphs today. Very exciting. Liz, this is your first real trials and triumphs since last time was sort of just an intro. Yeah, now I'm Your excited. first time to really complain. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, you should start. Okay. So this is our first house that we've ever bought. And it's a 90-year-old craftsman. And I mean, just being here. So pretty. Oh, thanks. It's It's definitely a work in progress. Nothing has been updated in this house for decades, which is awesome, but it's also really challenging. And so I think my biggest trial is just figuring out how long it takes to complete projects, like to just really complete them. When we all went in lockdown, my husband went a little COVID project bananas and gutted two rooms in our basement, which are just crazy, crazy rooms. Um, And he turned them into art studios, which has been awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Because he's an artist. He's an artist. Yeah. As are we you. met in art school. It, <laughs> yeah. Um, but we, he left the debris of everything he got. Uh, excuse me? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the yard out underneath the porch. And it took forever for him. So, and I'm, I'm realizing like projects take a long time. Yes. Right. But does he just take a long time? I don't know. <laughs> Can't answer that one. I think I do think, yeah, when you're doing projects yourself, mine always take much longer than you're like, oh, I can do it quicker than hiring someone is not you can do it cheaper than hiring someone, but you cannot do it. Well, he did he did a phenomenal job rebuilding these rooms and they are so cool. And then my biggest triumph is that the debris is gone. It is finally gone. So how long was it there? It, it was a long, long time. Like a year? Six <laughs> months? Could your neighbors uh, see it or just you? No, only we could see it. Only okay. we could see I it. was going to say, your neighbors are also celebrating. So. <laughs> no, I have been there so many times. Like I remember right when we bought our last house, for some reason, I can't remember what we like pulled out something of the yard and we just had this giant pile of dirt. I mean, the size of a car. And we couldn't figure out what to do with it, like, because you have to shovel the dirt, like, one by one, one scoop at a time. Anyways, it's it's just, like, the, those are the kinds of things that you don't necessarily think about when you start a project. Like, where is this going to go when I take it out, you know? Yeah. So. That's true. I don't even know where, the, like, a trash place is nearby. Oh, I mean, we've taken... <laughs> I think a dumpster, honestly, by the time you like... The, a dump. Thank you. That was the word I was looking for. I don't even know where the closest dump is. Well, I used to go to the dump point. with our neighbor all the time. But you have to pay to dump stuff at the dump. Did you know that? 
Yeah. Oh, they no. It, well, I assume it's ba- it's like this everywhere. But you like drive your car onto a scale. They weigh your car. You dump your stuff, and then they weigh it again, and then they charge you by that weight. Yeah. Hey. Oh, I've never done so, that. So, I mean, most people have like a tractor. We had, or a, we had somebody come and yeah. take it away. That's why I was going to say the dumpster or like a, one of those bagster thing is it's it seems expensive, but it's kind of worth it because you don't have to actually move it. That's true. Well, congratulations, Liz. I'm sure that feels amazing. Thank you. Yes, the big trash heap <laughs> is gone. <laughs> So many other cuter well, things in my house going on, well, but yeah, time. that's that's the biggest triumph. Yeah, next one then for sure. Yeah, Caroline, you want to go next? Sure. I am. My trial and triumph is basically just I've I've been working on our nursery. So, and by working, I mean this is mostly like mental work that I'm doing. Um, <laughs> you know, Sometimes that's the most taxing. Like I've I've got lots of planning going on and I know where, you know, I've ordered everything, but it's very hard to, to describe, but basically we have to put up a wall in what will be the baby's room to create a separation between the door to the laundry room and then like close off the bedroom more. Anyways. So we just have to build sort of a, I keep saying like, it's a a fake wall. It's a real wall, but it's not load bearing or it's not anything serious. It should be pretty easy. Yes. And a door. Yes. And so we have a, a, guy, a drywall guy that we've used in the past, but, and he came over, we like talked it all out with him. He was all good to go. The last we heard from him, he was like, okay, I'll send you a, an estimate on Monday and then I'll come that next week. He totally ghosted us. We haven't heard from him. And yeah, oh and there are gosh. all these other things that we have to do in the room, but I can't do them until we get this wall put up. So, right. you know, and I get it. Like, I know everyone is doing house projects right now, and I'm sure he's insanely busy. And I don't blame him for not wanting to do our small project. I just wish he would, like, tell me, like, hey, you know what? On second thought, this really is not, like... I'm just not that into you. Yeah. But yeah. instead, <laughs> every day, every day, Will gets home, and I'm like, did Kurt text you back yet? He's mm. like, no. I'm like, okay, well, you know... We can't really do anything in our house until this happens. So I like, like that we you need called a- him out by name. <laughs> Kurt, <laughs> if, if you're listening. If anyone knows drywall Kurt. <laughs> drywall Kurt. He's very nice and he did a great job in our basement. I just, you know. Anyway, so I'm hoping that we have a couple other names that someone will be able to do this for us. If not, Will said he could do it, but I really don't want that option. Well, Liz should be your example yeah, to this I right know. now. She just finished saying that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Do we need Steve to come over? He can. He can try. <laughs> Here's my thing. I'm like, I, I, I don't doubt that you can do it, but do you want to spend every Saturday and Sunday and all of your free time for the next couple months doing it? I don't want you to be doing that. I want it to get it done and like move on. But anyway, so. That is my trial and triumph. I've got everything. We we don't have to order furniture, so I don't have to wait half a year for furniture to come in. But oh it's just yes. – I, I, I feel like I've heard this from a lot of friends where if you have a small project, like no one wants to help you. They only want to do <laughs> big want, projects like Taryn's. Oh. They want Taryn's project. <laughs> Taryn's size project. Your project is so big. Okay. It's so, so big. Everybody it's wants so big. me. Taryn, it's so amazing. Taryn, update us. 
I think that's probably my trial and triumph is it took forever um, for permits in the city of Atlanta and the arborist was a doozy, but we are finally have broken ground, quote unquote, and we have cut down the trees and the lumber has been hauled away and there was a nice little excavator just digging away for a few days to make a basement and we got footers in. So we are finally, finally like moving, but it took so long. It took much longer than anyone expected. We knew it was going to take longer because of COVID and the city, but it was, it was a real long time guys. So um, we're finally moving though. So hopefully a year from now. So we'll be in this rental longer, which I'm glad we got a rental house instead of an apartment like we thought, because especially another year on us, this is at least a really nice little old home. So let me ask you a question. Okay, you tore down like a bunch of trees. How many trees did y'all tear down? We tore down 20, but you also submit a plan and we're putting 20 back, but we tore down pines, which are very tall and big, and um, we are not putting pines back in. <laughs> so it didn't help us. We thought maybe that would be like, oh, we see. Okay, so you're planning to put trees back. City of Atlanta thanks you. No, it was more like, mm, you really want to get rid of trees? Let us make you work for it. So, yeah. Well, I was going to say, does it drive you nuts that you just cut down 20 trees and then you have to buy all this lumber that's like extremely expensive? Yeah. Yeah. About the lumber prices. You know, it kind of hurts, but. <laughs> It is what it is. Me and everyone else that is doing it right now is in the same boat. But I, I'm thinking I need to put a camera on my lot just to make sure no one steals any, like, you know, stacks of lumber. <laughs> like, what's the ring? The ring camera? We'll just have it as you drive into our driveway, you know, attached to a tree. I see them. <laughs> Get out. No, it's, um, yeah. Yep, they hauled away. They make money off of what they haul away. I mean. It cost almost the exact same price to cut down one tree when our house was there as to take down the 20, which is absolutely insane. But they make so much money off of the trees. And when they don't have a house they have, they might hit, they can just knock them down in big chunks versus, you know, strategically making sure they don't hurt your house or humans. Interesting. I didn't realize that they took the house down before they cut the trees, but I guess that makes sense. If they can, I think they do. Because it just makes it, because then they just can knock them to the center of your lot. Has the lumber prices changed your plans at all? Currently, no. Not saying. I mean, it probably will affect our budget for sure. I mean, I'm sure with everyone else, I'll probably be doing a few years of cheap light fixtures and fixtures I already have instead of like, you know, really saving where I can and spaces like that. Or, or for instance, you know, there's, I would love to do all this wallpaper while well, everybody's doing wallpaper and it looks so good and really makes a space. But you know, if I need, I'd rather put in some Wayne's coating or something more permanent for the moment and then, you know, pay for the wallpaper later kind of thing. So a lot of decorative details will probably get a little slimmer for a while <laughs> just because unfortunately, but you know, it's, it, it is well, what it is. It also, I mean, you're like building your forever house. So yeah, I hope. It, I yeah. feel like that sort of makes it like you can do it, it at a slower pace. You know what I'm saying? Like there's no rush to. Yes. And no, and I agree with that. 
I agree with that. I just, it is hard, again, talking to all these wonderful designers and you're like, oh, you guys are doing these gorgeous rooms and they come in and do, you know, do a full room and seeing it and it's what you want, right? I don't want anyone to walk in until it's like magazine ready, which it will never be. But in my head, that's like where it needs to be. And I just, I don't think that's going to be realistic just with, you know, the increased budget and even lumber and stuff. So, but to your point, it'll be nice to be in a, a new home that fits us well. And storage is more important to me than probably decoration right away. You know, like I'd rather have places to put things so I can have a just a cohesive, peaceful home versus pop. I want it to have <laughs> that will come with time is what I'm trying to tell you. You'll be like, Taryn, your whole house is white. And I'll be like, listen, it's a canvas. <laughs> you, haven't, you haven't started pulling out your paints yet. Yeah, exactly. I'll be like, just stay tuned. But anyway, that's my update. But I do still have my Instagram journal. It's obviously not moving right now, but I'm sure in the coming months it will be moving. Now that I have footers. So hopefully in the next week I'll have walls in a basement. <gasps> stay tuned. It's way exciting. I think everybody, I mean, y'all like hearing about it, I'm sure. But hopefully... It'll be only triumphs from here on, right? Right. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> it's all looking up. Our fingers are crossed for you. <laughs> and toes, please. Yes, and toes. All right. I think it's time to chat with our guests. Oh, wonderful. Should we do awesome. it? Cool. Right. So our guest today, we're thrilled to have on the show, Lauren and Suzanne McGrath of McGrath 2. They are a mother and daughter design team based in New York. Mother Suzanne has worked for legendary design teams like Coleman and Kravis and Terry Despont. She was also an editor and producer for Martha Stewart Living Television for 10 years, winning five Daytime Emmy Awards. Lauren worked for Teen Vogue for many years before launching her design blog called Good Bones, Great Pieces, which became the title of your book with Abrams, best-selling book through Abrams in 2012. And together, your design firm has been featured in um, Architectural Digest, New York Times, House Beautiful, Traditional Home, Domino, and many more. We're so happy to have you. Welcome to the show. Thank you Thank so you much. We're happy us. to be here. I have been following y'all for so long, and I think that anyone following you on Instagram, and I, of course, I read your book many years ago, too, but I think anyone who follows you on Instagram, if they were not already, would have fallen in love with traditional, classic elements, and you execute them in such a fresh and current way, and I think that's what really makes your your spaces feel so comfortable and real, and but yet absolutely beautiful. And I'm just kind of curious if y'all could chat, you know, kind of start by maybe telling us a little bit about your love of traditional elements and why you come back to them time and time again. So I think probably my passion began because I went to graduate school in London at the London School of Economics, where I was studying economics and statistics. However, I spent a lot of time at the museums, Victoria and Albert Museum and others, and took weekend trips to every grand home I could find. So that's really where it began for me. Lauren, what about yourself? Well, I think just growing up in, you know, the houses that my mom decorated, and I would say none of them were particularly fancy. And a lot of the things that 
she found and put in our house were things that like he bought at flea markets or like found just like, you know, we lived in Brooklyn Heights and Cobble Hill growing up in old historic apartments or houses. And you could find a lot of great things just like on the street. Sometimes people would leave like a beautiful desk or a chair and we would grab it. And I think, you know, my mom was constantly moving things around the house. Like we would joke that my stepdad would leave and take my brother to the movies and he'd come back and like the whole house would be rearranged. And like, that was fun for me as a child (laughs) to do that with my mom. So I think it really all started there. And now here we are doing the same thing, but probably just with the nicer antiques. (laughs) (laughs) So when your clients hire you, are they coming to you wanting those antiques? Are you sort of easing them into, or do they have a lot already? Or are you sort of shopping for them and introducing them to pieces that they weren't already familiar with? I would say most of our clients are young families, you know, people who are either buying their first real apartment in New York, or they're moving to the suburbs and buying their first real house. And they really are coming with, with almost nothing because most of them have been you know, saving up for their like, you know, first real house. And so it's definitely an education process to teach them about antiques and and why they're valuable and, you know, why they bring value to the rooms. So, you know, for the most part, I would say our clients come to us because they expect that we're going to fill their house with vintage and antique pieces, but it's definitely an education process from the start. And that's actually really fun. And, you know, it may, it may be quite old or it may be 50 years old, but if it has a beautiful silhouette I'll some, and a beautiful and the perfect size often is very important. I'll take that to a wonderful refinisher and say, you know, scrape that mahogany black finish off and, you know, make it look gray ash and all of a sudden something can be transformed or something like a table that has like a Gothic element to it i'll just scrape it and paint it you know swedish gray or white and it's all of a sudden this magical thing but it's not necessarily something that's very precious but it is old and it has a beautiful shape or form and it can sometimes really transform a room because it it, it is part of the storytelling of a room it adds that element of curiosity and unexpected moment that brings a room to life. I was going to say there was a quote on one of your pages of where it said that you really have this beautiful look of or beautiful way of taking the traditional but not making it look dated. How do you do that? <laughs> well, you have to take chances. You know, you have to not be afraid to take something old and change it. It's something you do with experience. Like I think most people buy something vintage and they're like, oh, I can't touch that. It's special. Like no one's ever touched it before. And I guess I don't really feel that way. And Lauren, I think, pushes me to do that too, because she'll be like, well, that's a great piece, but let's take it back and see what we can do to make the story better. Yeah. Um, But I think it's also just about like the combination of pieces in the room, like you know, you can only have so many pieces of brown furniture before it does start feeling a little dated. So you have to mix it with like a modern person's table that's lacquered or just something more contemporary. And oftentimes I think for us, it comes in the form of putting contemporary art on the walls or just, you know, more modern, modern art. And I think it's also about the textiles. The color story. 
a color story, making sure that that feels fresh and making sure the patterns and prints that we're using feel fresh and new and updated. It sounds like you do your research too before every project and trying to keep a certain style to a home, whatever it was traditionally meant to be and or what it's following. How do you continue to transform homes um, and bring them up to date, but keep that traditional? I think it's really, really hard to decorate homes that, that don't have any history behind them that are just new houses. You have to be really, really creative. And I think that when you get to work on an old house, there's already a little bit of a story and a little bit of a perspective that you can kind of use as a springboard for the, the story that you're going to tell with the client. So whenever we get the historic projects, we get really, really excited. Without being too literal. Yeah. I mean, we're not trying to create like a period house. Right. Well, I think that that seems to sort of dovetail too with your book. I felt like it had a really good checklist of things that you could always keep your eye out for if you were going shopping, you know, a chaise or an occasional chair, that kind of thing. Picking things that you'll really take with you and use in different ways in different spaces and longevity. Totally. You know, we're moving the pieces into different rooms and obviously we're adding to it because it's a bigger space, reupholstering a lot of the soft furniture. But it's just like so fun to be able to reuse these pieces that we, you know, spent a lot of time buying together. And so, you know, I think we both hate waste and, you know, we'll never say like, oh, let's just start from scratch, you know? Right. Okay. So on that same, because I know you also spoke to having a lot of clients with families. How do you continue with kids' rooms? Because I know you did a whole like Instagram video on kid, uh, how to do. So how should one look at a kid's room if they're trying to get longevity out of it? I'm the resident kid's room designer. So I'll yes, answer that. Yes. I think we just try and choose prints that don't feel too juvenile. Yeah. I, I think that's really like where it starts. And, you know, using a rug that's really, really durable. I think if you spend a little bit more on a wool rug that, you know, doesn't have a lot of synthetic material in it, it that can, that'll really last you. But I think at the end of the day, it's really about like choosing a color palette that can grow with your child. And, you know, you don't have to necessarily do, you know, pink for a little girl or blue for a little boy and make it that sort of pastel. It can be, you know, a stronger color. And I think, yeah, it's really about the patterns, just choosing things that are a little bit more sophisticated so that you're not redoing your child's room every few years. I mean, until they're probably what, like three, four, they don't care. Like my daughter certainly does not have a strong opinion about her room yet. And so it's really a room for you. So make it something you like versus, I mean, don't make it an adult room, but there's a balance. Yeah. And like leave room for the room to evolve a little bit. Yeah. What about, what about pieces that you should sort of focus on in the kid's room? Like, especially if you're doing, you know, a nursery where you're really kind of starting from scratch, like, are there things that you can kind of shop for early on that you know that you'll have for a long time? So I ended up not doing the rocking chair because I felt like in the end, the chair would have more longevity if it was just like a really comfortable chair with an ottoman. And I'm really glad that I did that. And I often recommend that to clients because I feel like, you know, when your kid is a little bit bigger, it's just so much more comfortable to sit and read in a chair that's stable and have an ottoman and also, to feet up. I, I think if you look at the, the typical nursery chair online that 
that you're supposed to They're say. not very appealing. They're so hideous. And then what are you going to do with it afterwards? Yeah. To me, it just seems so impractical. Like, just find a beautiful, comfortable club chair that can go anywhere else yeah. in your next home or in another room in the home you're in right now. And, just and I always say, like, to. don't spend a lot on the crib because, you, yes, you might use it again, but after a few years, you're probably, you don't, you're not going to need it anymore. So I bought mine, I think for like $150 on Amazon and it's perfectly fine. <laughs> right. Well, it too, like there's no functional difference between a thousand dollar crib and a hundred dollar crib. You know, there is the difference between a rug. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. Instead of doing a changing table, because I feel like it's another kind of like gimmicky thing that like you don't really need to buy a changing table because I feel like most of the time you end up changing on the floor because your child won't stay. Yeah. Do you start with a color in the rooms? Do you find that you use, use a lot of the same color for bedrooms or? I will say that we do focus and really spend a lot of attention on the master bedroom because it's a room that you really spend a lot of time in. And it's a room that, you know, it is really a reflection of the of the couple who who are who are spending their time there. So we like it to be very transformative. Of course, we want the whole home to be cohesive, but we are definitely striving for a feeling of tranquility and calm. And so comfort is very important. We'll start by asking the clients, like, do you read in bed at night? Does one of you go to bed at a different time from the other? You know, what kind of linens do you prefer? I think actually the linens can play a big part in how the room looks because the bed is kind of a big piece of volume in any room. Mm-hmm. And I think Lauren can speak more of that because it's kind of a passion of hers. I'll buy the top sheet and the shams from one place and then I'll get the duvet cover from another vendor and then I'll do the, you know, make it buy a quilt or whatever it is. Just like make the bed feel more layered and more unique and special. Not that you just like bought all the linens from the same place. I think anyone can do that at home. You don't necessarily have to spend a lot of money on it, but like it can really make the bedroom feel just more special and more unique and less of just like walking in and seeing like a big white mass in the room. Are there any sort of guidelines you keep in mind when you are mixing those bedding layers? I feel like a lot of people are confused about should you have four standards and two euros or like what should be the combinations. What I usually like is for like a king size bed, I'll do four king shams and then I usually do two euro shams in front of that. And then like two kind of like decorative pillows in front of that. So one in front of each of the euros. Sometimes you see people with do- doing like three euros in a row, which to me feels like too much. Whereas I feel like if you have the two euros, it kind of like narrows the bed a little bit, at least from when you're looking at it face on. Okay. Well, let me ask you a question. Because when I think of a sham, I think of like the pillow that you're not using, but like more decorative. So is this your actual sleeping pillow? Yeah, I feel like a lot of linen companies now are calling them shams, even though it's really just sort of like the same thing as a standard case. It often will have like a flange around it, but it's made out of the same material as like a standard 
pillowcase. The other thing you do in your bedrooms, I noticed a lot. And I, I love too, because like you said, when you come into a room, a lot of times the bed is the main focus and there's so much of it. But even your lighting plan, you have a lot of sconces tucked so great into like the edges of beds. And it just, I just wanted to say I love it. And I don't know. It's not a question. I just needed to tell people so they could like look and enjoy it like me. I think a lot of people, it's not something that they think about right away. They'll often think like, oh, let me put a a source of light in the ceiling and then let me get some table lamps for my side tables. But I think that, you know, that's like a really, it can be a very inexpensive way to add some nice ambient light and just the more layered you can make your lighting plan, the better. So like you can have table lamps and you can also have sconces and they're kind of used for different purposes. And I think it's just like a nice way to make the room look a bit more sort of like custom and, and special. Yeah. I think that also it used to be that if you were going to have swing arm sconces on either side of your bed for reading, you'd have to call an electrician and have him make a box for that specific fixture. But now they make them where they're basically just fastened to the wall and there's an electrical cord hanging down. And what we'll do sometimes is we'll take that fixture to an electrical shop and they'll put a pretty cord on it that looks a little more user-friendly. And the plug can go into the wall behind the bed. I wanted to ask about living room layouts because I do feel like your living rooms tend to be very unformulaic, which I love. Like, you know, a lot of living rooms, you'll see like a pair of sofas or like a very sort of structured layout, like a sofa for club chairs or something like that. Do you have any sort of suggestions for anyone sort of working on their own living room? in how to lay out their space? Because I do feel like that's somewhere a lot of people, especially someone doing their own space, gets tripped up. You definitely have to learn to make a traditional floor plan first before you can kind of like break some of the rules and, and loosen it up. I think our goal with, with a lot of the spaces or all the spaces that we design is that we're trying to make the space feel, you know, a little bit undecorated by design because I think we don't really want our clients' friends to come in and be like, you know, oh, you know, you hired a decorator. What about longer living rooms too? Or, you know, I think too now, like especially houses being built, they're so, living rooms are often so large, which is great until you have to furnish it. And then you're like, wait, do I just need a bigger sofa? Or like, what do you do? Like, how do you break it up? Well, we do like to have more than one seating arrangement if we have a a long enough room. And if you're going to have more than one seating arrangement, then typically one of the arrangements is something that needs to feel a little more intimate and kind of tucked away. And you'll see a lot of kind of L-shaped little settees in our rooms. Those are perfect for situations like that. So I think typically we'll use a lot of furniture pieces that are different from each other. And by that, I don't just mean the wood pieces, but I mean the upholstered pieces. Like you'll rarely see a room where there are two of the same sofa style in one of our rooms. That's by design. And even the chairs that we design, the club chair or the slipper chair mm-hmm. or the side chair, they'll all be different from each other. Yeah, like mixing the different arm styles, I think, 
is like one really good way that, you know, anybody can kind of improve their, their living space and the upholstered pieces, like, you know, choose, you know, put something that has a square arm with something that has a rolled arm. Like those are always good combinations. I'm curious. I feel like there's been such a like resurgence, especially the last probably 10 years in traditional design. And I'm curious where you see design going in terms of your own work or just overall. And I, I only am using the word trend because I, there's not really a good substitute, but where kind of the traditional design world is moving. I think that, you know, one of the things that's unique about traditional design is that there's more ways to make your house feel more unique because it is so much about you know antiques and vintage pieces or at least pieces that are inspired by antiques and vintage pieces and you know historically it's been about you know mixing pattern and color and all of those things are things that make your house more unique I think like definitely moving away from the whole like gray beige no pattern to me that just doesn't feel like a comfortable space to live in yeah and I would add that you know it sounds so simple but comfort in the past people didn't spend that much time in their homes so they just bought a sofa that looked pretty and put it in their living room because they were never going to go in there anyway and they just wanted to get it done now people it's like a priority like I need it to be really comfortable and I think that has always been a hallmark of our work we've always focused on really plush sink into furniture pieces that for me, we're inspired by the sofas that I first sat in in London that George Smith made. For me, it's also it's an issue of practicality and longevity. Like you're going to want to keep something that's comfortable. Yeah, so true. You know, well, we had a listener write in literally this week asking, what are y'all doing for rugs under dining tables where, you know, again, people have families and Caroline and I both gave well, I got a wool one that has a lot of black and it seems to work fine. With all your clients, what are you doing with that? Or are you not doing rugs under places like that? Actually, sometimes we don't put a rug down and we find other ways to make the room feel like, you know, cozy and warm and inviting. And then, I mean, we've actually been making a fair amount of indoor-outdoor rugs lately and putting them into dining rooms, which I think is something that's really great for young families. I also think that as long as the rug is is 100% wool, it should be really pretty cleanable. Even with red wine, it should be cleanable. All right. So this is from Valerie from Iowa, and she says, Hello, ladies of Ballard and distinguished guests. I love listening to you every week, and I've learned so much. I have a design dilemma and look forward to hearing what you recommend for my space. We moved into our house seven years ago and brought our college furniture with us because we had small children and the furniture is leather. Now our kids have grown and we are ready to invest in something nicer. Our house is a 1905 four-square farmhouse that has had walls taken down to open up the main level. The living room is our one and only space for entertaining and relaxing as a family of five. I am stumped on how the furniture should be arranged. I used your online room planner to test various furniture layouts, but I'm still not sure which layout would look best as well as be the most functional. I can't figure out how to pull the furniture away from the walls without blocking the hallway and walkway. It just doesn't seem to make the best use of space to pull the furniture away from the walls, so I'm leaning 
towards getting a sectional to tuck into the corner. There's an angled wall that was original to the house and could not be moved, so that throws off the center of the room. The TV is centered on the wall next to the angled wall, but the light fixture is centered to the ceiling beam, which is where the original wall was located. For reference, the current rug is 10 by 13, but a used by 12 by 14 in the room planner. The room is about 15 feet across to the ceiling beam and 11 across to the angled wall and 19 feet from the TV to the opposite window. Everything is currently so dark and so brown. I'm fairly confident I want a linen look, oatmeal color performance fabric. I've included three of my favorite floor plans. My husband would prefer the one with the recliner for obvious reasons, and I think the one with the two occasional chairs might look the best, but perhaps not be as functional for our family and how we use the room. The kids would like the one with the giant sectional and, of course, ottoman. I am open to any and all suggestions. I'm also open to suggestions for window treatments. They're too shallow to have anything mounted inside the window frame, and I don't really want to do an outside mount to cover the window casing, which leads me to drapes, maybe? We don't need functional window coverings as we live in the country, have no close neighbors, and almost no traffic past our house, which sits quite far back from the road. Lastly, I would love a new ceiling light fixture. Our ceiling is nine feet and seven in seven years I have never once used the fan, so that is not needed. Maybe I could just put on put can lights in the ceiling instead of the centered fixture on a dimmer, of course. At night we never use the ceiling light. We only turn on the lamps. Thank you for all you do. You've been such a bright spot during this past year. All right. What do you ladies think? I see the dilemma. It is it's definitely tricky because of that angled wall and it's just sort of like such a narrow space. I think the first thing I would say is I don't think you should put curtains in the room because I think that, I mean, one of our pet peeves is always like we hate putting sofas or big furniture in front of curtain panels because we just feel like visually it just cuts off the curtains and prefer just to put shades on the windows and I know she said that there's not a lot of depth for inside mount, but I wonder if maybe she could sometimes like those natural matchstick blinds can be a little bit less deep or you can even mount them, you know, in a more like casual way, almost like with just like two nails, like on the molding and then, but you could still have them inside mount. So you could still see the, you know, the frame of the window, which I think would be nice, kind of like the very casual Indian blinds. I don't know if that's her look, but I think the rug size that she has looks like it's right. I don't think she could make it too much bigger because of the angled wall. Well, I would just say, I think the sectional is the way to go, but the sectional doesn't have to be tucked into the corner. Yeah, I think it needs to come out a few inches from the wall. It should move out from the wall a little bit, just to give it some breath. Otherwise, it it ends up looking like too heavy. That's a really good tip that I think that people don't know that you don't have to, the furniture doesn't actually have to physically touch the wall. What else can we say about this? I think an ottoman is nice. People do like to put their feet up and kids love to climb all over them. So I wouldn't deprive you of that. And And I think in the first option where she has her husband, um, the recliner, that she could probably fit another chair, um, kind of like in front of where the um, angled wall is, but, you know, facing sort of like in towards the the sectional and maybe it can be casters or something so that it could turn, but just like, even if it's not a chair that somebody is 
sitting in to watch TV, it might just be nice to fill the space out and give them more options for seating. Like whenever they're sitting in the room and they're not watching TV or gathering as a family, it could be nice. And there's definitely room for another chair in the corner there. Like a, a deep chair. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Just like your occasional chair. Plus, it's something pretty to look at while you're next to your television. <laughs> what about her fan and ceiling light issue? Well, I think she just needs to find another ceiling fixture. Like a pendant or something? Like a small pendant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I think that it looks like the, the ceiling fixture is kind of going to hang over the ottoman. So no one's really ever going to be standing on the ottoman or in that jet, like a little area. So I think she could have something that hangs down just even a little bit more than the fan and nobody's going to hit their head on it, but it might look nice. But it doesn't matter the location of it. Like it's I think the, the location, location is, fine. is fine. Yeah. I mean, I suppose she could have an electrician move it, but I don't think it's, I think it's fine. I think those are all your questions, Valerie. It's really impressive. It made our job easy. She just answered the question for us. Yes, Valerie. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, she was so prepared. She had layouts. Thanks, Valerie. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, too. And if you could tell everyone where they can find you and follow you and see your work, that would be great. Sure. You can follow us on Instagram at negraph 2 the number two, and also on our website, www.negraft2.com. And it is a must follow everyone. Really good. It's so inspiring. So, And that's our show. You can find all of the show notes on our blog, howtodecorate.com slash podcast. To send in a decorating dilemma, email your questions to podcast at ballarddesigns.net so we can help you with your space. And of course, be sure to follow us on social media at Ballard Designs. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. And please leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Until next time, happy Happy decorating. decorating!